It's nighttime in the quiet, dark suburbs of Welcome, Nevada. Not a sound stirs, not a voice peeps. Well, that's actually not true. Off Griswold Avenue, between the park and the dimly lit Walmart, sits George Groff, wedged between a fire hydrant and a bench. He's casually whistling, like it's a normal night. But for George Groff, it's not a normal night. His venomous smile gives away he is going to do something very bad. But wearing bright colors, he is easily noticed by two employees walking out of the now-closed Walmart. Instead of finding a new hiding spot, George maintains his position, which easily attracts the attention of the employees. Suspicious, one of them asks, Sir, the store is now closed, and as Walmart, we do not tolerate loitering. So please get back to your car, house, or wherever you need to attend. Just not here. George's mouth opened slowly. He stuttered, and then he said, Um, yeah, I, I knew that. I was just waiting for one of the employees to come out because, be because I'm related, he said, satisfied with his answer. He smiled, a bit nervously, but persuasive. Or, at least, what George thought was persuasive. The employees exchanged looks, and the taller one said, uh, sir, we are the last employees in the building. A look of discern slowly crept on George's white face. Oh, he started, which mu with much panic in his voice. I must have missed him. The employees again exchanged looks and faced the bearded man. Sir, we are the only males on the nighttime shift. Now George knew he was in trouble. He stood up from his, quote, hiding spot, unquote, and gestured towards the park. He then started to slowly walk backwards and said, um, I I'm going to, he paused, not knowing what he was going to say next. He kept walking backwards. Going to, when he was halfway across the street, he turned around and ran. That is, until he tripped on the curb and fell face first into the hard, pointy wood chips of the park. Welcome to Hashtag Dumb, where every other Wednesday, I, Wyatt Barron, tell you the most ridiculous, bizarre, untrue, and absolutely stupidest stories ever. If you can't get enough of Hashtag Dumb, make sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review in the comments section. Thank you. And remember, this episode of Hashtag Dumb is entirely not true, but does contain authentic real-world aspects, such as companies, brands, and states. Now, enjoy your session of dumbness. George Groff, a name everyone remembers, but not in a good way, or a bad way. More in, let's say, a funny way. George Groff was a wannabe serial killer who didn't actually kill one single person. Now, you might be wondering how Groff is in jail for not even killing one single person. Easy. Assault. He tried to kill people, using weapons, hiring hitmen, and even plotting massive plans that just never worked. Groff was an awful person, but not just awful, a dumb person. Now, what led up to his pursuit and failure? Let's start with his childhood. Like most children, Groff played video games. A lot, in fact. But he also played football, 
and was quite good at it. Him and his family lived in Baltimore, so everyone was a Ravens fan. George was very confident, maybe even a little bit overconfident, and thought he was going to be a Raven when he grew up. <sighs> Obviously, that didn't happen. And to make matters worse, his school grades were awful. So terrible that he didn't even make the football team and tried to hack the school computer to change his grades. And he snuck into the principal's office, only to be stopped by the computer password. He didn't know it, so he looked around for some sort of clue. George didn't find anything. About ten minutes later, he was still blank, so he left the computer in the room. And he also left the sticky note that was on top of the computer. And what did that sticky note have on it? The password. How did George miss that? Easy. He's dumb. As the years progressed, his grades got worse, and his dad repeatedly took away his Xbox, which made Groff even more angry. Set aside, he was angry from his lack of smarts. Although, Groff said his father abused him. Taking away your Xbox, Groff, I don't think is abuse. Maybe to you it is. As school moved on, Groff's football skills started to disappear, and he blamed his dad. Eventually, he got kicked off the team and replaced by a couple transfer students who were better than him. George had a weird conspiracy theory that his dad called the coach, asked the coach if he could kick George off the team, and then sent in four new transfer students to replace him. George was so convinced with this theory that he made his dad check his call history in front of George, and when nothing suspicious appeared, he checked every other phone in the house, getting the same result. His sophomore year, George decided to ask Macy Williams, a girl he knew liked him, to prom. He wanted it to be romantic, so he illegally bought fireworks and placed them at her house and waited until she was done with band practice. Then, he secretly followed her home in the dark, which isn't creepy at all, right? Then, when she got to her house, George started the ignition for the fireworks. Keep in mind, Macy's parents had no clue George was doing this. When the ignition started, George waited on the side of the house, also with a box of chocolates. Waiting till Macy would come out to see the fireworks, he would jump out and ask her to prom. Smart way to ask someone out just for one prom night. Also, keep in mind that George is lighting fireworks on the grass. George watched as the flame moved closer to the fireworks. It wrapped around the coil when it hit the grass, and a fire completely erupted around him, causing the house and other possessions to catch on fire, the wood burning away. George forgot about the fireworks as he dropped the box of chocolates and watched the burning house in panic and fear. That is, until the fireworks exploded right next to him, causing him to have a mild heart stoppage for about a second. And then he went unconscious. What the whole Williams family saw that night was uncomprehendable. Their house was on flames, and a boy lay unconscious on their yard. If that wasn't bad enough, the Williams dog, Snowy, scattered up to the George's chocolates and ate the whole box, causing him to be very sick. Now, you think that's dumb? Just wait. It gets better. George was grounded for three whole months, which I think is letting him off easy, but of course, George thought was outrageous. George was starting to get very angry and even more stupid. 
He was so angry one day that he took his Xbox, which he loved, and smashed it on the floor, breaking it completely. He then cried for three hours straight when he heard he wasn't getting another one. George was thinking of suicide, but he didn't know how to use a gun or a knife. <laughs> After barely passing his junior year, he started his senior year with a confident attitude until he flunked. Now, George was in trouble. But when he heard next year his parents were kicking him out of the house, he got scared. And he couldn't come up with a plan. One day, when George came home from grocery shopping, he noticed a check sitting on the porch. He picked it up and studied it carefully. The check was from some family friends that the Groffs had. Then he grabbed the checkbook from his house and carefully looked around to see if anyone was home. No one was home. He laid the filled check and the blank check next to each other and started his work. He carefully copied the writing of the friends until it looked good. He then wrote his bank account, which only had ten dollars in it, in the section for who the check was for. For the amount, he wrote the number five thousand dollars, and where it asked and where it asked him to write in word form, he also put five thousand dollars. For being bad at everything else. George was surprisingly good at check forgery. After that, he drove in his mom's car down to the family friend's house and slipped it in their mailbox. About two weeks later, George got an email from his bank account that said a check had came in. He smiled, knowing that he would buy a plane ticket and fly away off somewhere in the west, getting away from his awful dad. He scrolled down to where the amount was and almost flipped when he saw the account. It was only five dollars. He still didn't know what happened, but I'll explain it. When he was writing the number amount, he put the decimal in the wrong place, resulting in five point oh oh oh. And in the word form section, he had written the word five and was going to write the word a thousand. But his mom was coming through the door, so he frantically wrote "o o o," making it five thousand. But then, because it looked suspicious, crossed that out and forgot he did that. About two months after that, George was arrested for check forgery and was sentenced for three years in juvenile hall. His first arrest, but that wasn't his last. Three years later, George was released, and he was twenty-one. And you know what that means? George plus drinking equals even more stupidity. After he got out of prison, he wanted to kill, but not even for a purpose, just out of determination, just like he was a kid. But he kept it on the inside. For the next month, George spent his days on the streets until he got a ride to the west. Hungry, tired, and restless. George now wandered the streets of California, where he went to a bar, but just to have fun, not to order any drinks, even though he wanted to. He said this was out of self-control, but it was actually because he had no money. That night, he met a girl named Joanna Woods, who was dreamy to George. They talked for a little bit, and when she offered to meet him back up the next night, he said yes. His urge to hurt his dad. Grew stronger and more pointless, 
since his dad had sent him a handful of cash to buy a cheap apartment and essential needs so that he could get a job. But, knowing George, that's not what he's going to buy. Instead, George spent it all on liquor, a phone, oh, and a $500 subscription that was literally for a tasting upgrade, it read. So that would make him, what, taste wine better? What the heck? Man, the next 20 years might be a buzzkill. The subscription ended up giving him one little spray bottle that he would spray before he would drink alcohol that did absolutely nothing. But the subscription kept going for $500 a month, and George would not get anything else from it. He didn't know how to turn the subscription off on his phone, and he was getting charged $500 a month. Besides that, Joanna and George had struck up a relationship. Eventually, George moved in with Joanna and her massive two-story house. Joanna loved George, but George loved Joanna's wallet, not actually her. Even though George had a good life by now, living in an expensive house with a nice girlfriend in California, and he even had a job working at the bar, but was fired almost immediately because he messed up all of his orders. Well, long story short, George was mad. Mad at his father for not giving him more money. When Joanna got a job application in Colorado, she easily took it and was going to sell their house in California and asked George to come with her. He obviously said yes, and they packed up. George had one simple last task, to sell the house. You can't mess up on right. That? Like, you can't. You can't mess up on that. Wrong. It was a late Sunday evening in California, and Joanna was out with some of her friends. While George was at the house, trying to actually sell the house, he didn't quite know how much this house was worth, so he put a high amount just in case. A high amount for George was $10,000. George was selling an almost $2 million house for 10000 bucks. The offer was almost accepted immediately, and George smiled because he thought he was going to get a good deal out of it. When the buyers came, George signed all of the paper, and the house was theirs. And George walked out with a good 10000 bucks. When Joanna found out, she screamed, kicking George from the house. But George still had his plane ticket to Colorado. The flight was on an early Tuesday, and George's seat was still right next to Joanna's. And that was the last thing Joanna wanted to see right now, since she had lost a ton of money. And they sat next to each other the whole way to Colorado. Once at Colorado, George had, George had made some friends that would occasionally let him sleep there and get him food. George also got another job as a car dealer. Since he was very persuasive, this came easy to him, and he had gotten enough money to buy a car. One Saturday morning, when George was about to head out and grab his car, George got out of his friend's Robbie's shower. He then got dressed in Robbie's clothes and ate Robbie's food for breakfast. In his wallet, he had a total of almost eight grand. While he was eating, he noticed an $100 bill sitting right there next to him. A note was attached to it. It read, quote, You deserve this. From Robbie. Unquote. George smiled at the note and was going to pick it up, but he wanted to be generous. So he left the $100 bill and headed out to pick a car. 
Ten minutes later, Robbie moved out of the house and took the $100 bill with him. At the car dealership, George couldn't afford any of the cars, except one of them, which costed $8,000. And he actually quite liked it. He shook the dealer's hand and pulled out his wallet to give him the money. $3,100, $3,200, he said, counting his money. Eventually, he got to $7,900. He expected to have a couple more bills, but he didn't. He frantically searched his pockets and found nothing. Then, he remembered the $100 bill. Arg! he thought. I should have took it. He told the dealer to wait right there, and George ran back to the house to find the door locked. He bashed it open and ran to the counter. It was gone. George screamed in anger. He would kill Robbie. He would kill whoever moved out, whoever moved into the house. Yeah, that's the funny part. George knew that Robbie would move out of the house that day, that time. And that's when the trying to kill phase came in. He decided to kill everyone involved with the car incidents, starting with the general manager of Toyota. George got his address, but didn't quite know how to get there. So he called a hitman and paid him $20,000, which he stole from the new owners of Robbie's house. He gave the address to the hitman, 342 Sunny Boulevard, West Virginia. Just a heads up, guys, this is not a real address. A couple weeks later, George got a call from the hitman saying that the resident from 342 Sunny Boulevard, West Virginia, was dead. George, from the basement of Robbie's old house, pumped his fist in the air and went to cross out the GM's name from his list. It read... Frederick Deerbrill, address 342 Funny Avenue, West Virginia. George had given the hitman a couple things that day. A, the wrong address, B, $20,000, and C, an unsuccessful mission. You will see this reoccurring theme that happens throughout the remainder of the podcast. George tries, George fails. George's closest attempts to ever kill someone were in the next three years. George was about 30 years old and was secretly still living in the house in Colorado when he snatched a plane ticket off the counter when no one was home and attended that flight to Westbrook, New Jersey. Parentheses, not a real place. Unparentheses. There, he racked up about three close attempts to kill someone, each one getting dumber and dumber and dumber. The first attempt was in Westbrook, New Jersey, and it was the dealer who was going to sell George the car. George had exactly where he lived, exactly what he would be doing, and exactly how he would kill the dealer. From the information George had, the dealer's name was Malcolm Roberts and was living alone in Westbrook, an easy target. And Malcolm barely had any friends and didn't have any family left. Again, a super easy target. George camped out by Malcolm's house one night and followed him secretly to Red Robin, where Malcolm was going to have a dinner for one. Once Malcolm was in the restaurant, George waited until Malcolm put his name down and then walked into Red Robin. Just in case Malcolm would notice him from 10 years ago, George bought a fake mustache at the supermarket for less than a dollar and had put it on 
but was very askew and insanely unconvincing. When Malcolm sat down at the waiting booth, George put his name in as party for one and sat down right next to Malcolm. He started up some small talk with the dealer and convinced him that they should eat together. So Malcolm changed his reservation for two now and George canceled his. They sat down and George ordered a very strong wine from Malcolm. Malcolm said, thanks, kind of suspicious, but they continued dinner. Throughout that night, George kept ordering drinks for Malcolm, and Malcolm kept drinking them. Soon, Malcolm was so drunk that he decided he wanted to go to George's house tonight, even though he knew George didn't have a house in New Jersey. So, George drove back to Malcolm's house in Malcolm's car and led him down to the basement. There, he pulled a rope from his back pocket and lunged forward, trying to kill the drunken Malcolm. That didn't work. Malcolm was a very good martial arts teacher now, and even though Malcolm was drunk, he could still beat the focused George in a fight. It was easy, in fact. So George locked the door on the drunken dealer and headed up the stairs. He found a knife rack, and out of all the knives there, he picked the butter knife and headed back downstairs. But just then, a car pulled up in Malcolm's driveway. It was Malcolm's wife. What? George thought. I thought he was alone. George, just because he had made a table for one that night doesn't mean he is alone. George dropped the butter knife and ran off the door and never came back to New Jersey again. George's next attempt was in Miami, Florida, where he tried to kill Robbie. This time, George knew that Robbie knew George well, so he couldn't pull the dinner drunk trick. Instead, he decided to sneak up on Robbie and kill him in surprise and style. One night, when Robbie was alone working on his computer in his beach house, George entered the house, surprisingly quiet for George, and snuck upstairs. All he had was two rolls of barbed wire, and George was planning to do something in style. He crept up to the office and entered the room without Robbie noticing. But instead of just killing Robbie with the barbed wire when Robbie was not looking and working instead, George tried to do it in style as he wanted to prove himself to the few other serial killers in that time. George hung the barbed wire across the doorway so that, what, Robbie wouldn't notice it when he walked out and would cut himself? I'm not sure what George was thinking or if he was thinking at all. After some close calls of Robbie almost turning around, George had finished the barbed wire trap, only to discover that he had been inside the room when he placed the trap, and he was stuck inside the office room, and it was only a matter of time before Robbie turned around. George started to unwrap the wires with precision when Robbie turned around. Robbie screamed and asked George what he was doing in his house. George stuttered and made up a pretty good lie. Oh, I'm now a measure, and, and I thought you might need your walls measured, George sweated. Robbie looked confused. This late, he said? Yeah, every, every, every other time was booked. Robbie still looked confused. Okay, he said. I, I guess just do your thing. Now, you might think Robbie was dumb, but remember, 
Robbie still thinks George is his friend. It was getting very quiet as George pretended to measure things with his barbed wire as Robbie just stared. So George started some small talk. So, uh, he couldn't think of anything. Well, he could think of one thing. Did you hear about the attempt that that weirdo did in New Jersey to kill that car dealer? Robbie nodded, but was still a bit confused and said, He tried to kill him? George realized his mistake and quickly said, Oh, um, um, that, that's, that's just what I read. Robbie nodded and said, Oh, okay. Well, back in Colorado, he was my car dealer. Wasn't he yours too? George panicked. Yeah, I think he actually was, George said, trying to think like he was remembering. So you measure now, Robbie said. In black clothes? George sighed in panic and said, Uh, uh, I'll come back tomorrow, and dashed out of the room, cutting himself greatly because he was not finished with his, quote, measuring job, unquote. He never returned the next day. George's third and final attempt to kill someone was in Welcome, Nevada, where he tried to kill the owners of Robbie's old house. Or the old owners, since they are in Welcome, Nevada. At the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned the beginning of this story, so I'll leave off from there. But I will answer one question. Robbie was wearing colorful clothes so that he wouldn't be asked the same question in Florida if it came to it. George moaned from the injuries that the wood chips did to him and slowly got up and turned around to see the employees laughing. George flipped them off with his index finger, not knowing that that was incorrect. He then walked across some grass to get to the street where the family was on. He saw their house there and was prepared to go in. He had a gun. I'm just kidding, guys. He had a fake gun, of course, that he held wrong. Did you guys really think George could have like the skills and stuff to actually get a license for a gun? Yeah, that's what I thought. Imagine if that was a real gun. George was holding it wrong, pointing it at himself, thinking it was a real gun. He burst into the house, interrupting their dinner, screaming, Freeze! Don't move! And then saying, Down to the basement, now! And he repeated that. Well, George, what did you want them to do? To freeze or to be in the basement? After they were finally in the basement, George forgot that he didn't have a real weapon, so he didn't know what to do. He didn't have them locked up, but they were huddled in a corner, and the two children were screaming. The younger child, who was about 18 months old and was crying, threw a metal toy train at George and hit him right in the groin, sending him screaming. The baby started laughing hysterically, and George told the gang to stay right there, and he'd be back. Why would they stay right there? George didn't really think that through. George then ran up to the front of the house and looked for a weapon. None. Obviously, he was not prepared. He then heard downstairs that they were calling the police, but instead of going down there and destroying the phone, George called the police on another line, saying that this call was untrue and that his other family members were prank calling. Like, what was that about? The police officer then asked George for his name. And guess what George responded? George Groff. 
Minutes later, the police arrested George for 10 years for crimes of assault. And did that put George to sleep? Nope. Even in prison, he would threaten families. We have a letter from him to the CEO of Toyota, the general manager of Toyota, excuse me, that we would like to share. Here it is. Quote, Dear, dear bros, I know where you live. I know where you are. I will find you and kill you. My name is George Groff, and you killed my future. You're dead. Signed, Anonymous. Unquote. Man, there were several arrows in that note, and we'll go over all of them. Don't worry. First of all, George repeats the same thing twice, saying, I know where you live, and I know where you are. Then he says he will find them. But doesn't he already know where they live and where they are? So why does he have to find them? Lastly, he says that his name is George Groth, which is already dumb, because now the dear bros know who to expect. But then he signs the note anonymous, which is absolutely pointless if he puts his name in the letter. To make a long story short, George Groff was an awful man, having thoughts of violence and hatred. If he wasn't so dumb, we could all be in trouble. But luckily, he was dumb. And that just about wraps it up for this episode. Thank you for tuning in to Hashtag Dumb, and thank you again. Check out more Hashtag Dumb at the Anchor app. Thank you, and make sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review. And remember... More dumbness will come out every other Wednesday. Stay tuned. Wyatt Barron signed out.